0: Hey there, It's good to see you all again. We see you every Sunday and Wednesday. As he said, we're going to be discussing um, creation, and I'll be talking about this for the next three weeks, every Wednesday. And to start, I figured the best thing to do is first tear down what most people in this country have been taught. And um, they're taught evolution. Many people are brainwashed with this, whether they realize it or not. For example, when it comes to dinosaurs, the very first thing, if I asked you a question, you've been taught this since you were a kid, when did the dinosaurs live? And as a child, we learned this, millions and millions of years ago. Well, we'll be talking about that in the next few weeks and discuss the reason why that cannot be. And I will show you evidence from science which indicates that the dinosaurs lived a whole lot closer to us than millions and millions of years ago. You see, I believe the Bible. I have a degree in the Bible. I love the Bible. I preach the Bible. I will stand on the Bible. I have faith in God's Word. I believe that this world um, was created less than 10,000 years ago. I believe God created this world in six days, and I'm not ashamed of it. And we're going to discuss this. First off, I want to make sure you understand something about this series and this study. This study of creationism is meant to bolster our faith, not take away our faith. And what I mean by take away our faith is this. I hope you're not coming here and expecting you to give you complete, conclusive, concrete evidence that God created this world in six days. That's not going to happen. I wasn't there. As far as I know, there's no videotape of God creating the world in six days. Nobody was there. The only person um, um, who was an eyewitness to it was God Himself. And He tells us about His creation in this world, I mean in His Word. But I want to make sure you understand, we believe that God created this world in six days, we believe that God created man in His own image, that we did not evolve from monkeys or anything like that, We believe that because we have faith in what God has told us. That's what the Bible tells us. Let's look at Hebrews chapter number 11, verse 3. We see here that the Bible says, Through faith we understand the the worlds that um, were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So why do we believe in creation as Christians? We believe in it. It comes through faith. And faith is very important. I'm not here to take away your faith. You cannot be a successful Christian without faith. In fact, you can't even be a Christian without faith. The Bible says this, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 we come to God, because of His grace we can receive salvation, but how do we receive that salvation? We receive it through faith. We have to believe that God tells us the truth. Not only that, but we see here in Romans 1.17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by what? Faith. You cannot live and be a successful Christian without faith. The Bible says in Romans 3.28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by what? Faith without the deeds of the law. We go further. We can't even please God without faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11.5 now, i talk to many people on creation. Um, on a daily basis, many times. Weekly basis, definitely. People ask me questions, and um, I discuss it. Some people um, believe creation, but they don't understand the truths of creation, and they have questions about it. Other people flat out deny creation. Either one of them, I discuss, and I talk to them, and I'm not ashamed to say, I believe that God created this world in six days, by faith. Not afraid of that. The problem comes with this. You have this idea with evolution, and maybe some of you have heard this before. You have the evolutionists saying, evolution is science. I believe in evolution because of science. But you see, these guys that hold to creation, they are um, holding to creation due to some kind of religious idea, as if science and what we believe have nothing to do with each other. I want you to understand something. It takes faith to believe in evolution. It takes faith to believe in evolution. Anybody know of anyone who was alive, according to them, 14 billion years ago when this universe blew up in the Big Bang? Anybody alive back then? Is there any videotape evidence of that? Absolutely not. Can you... um, Do an experiment and show these processes in action? No, you cannot. Faith is being held by both sides. When I talk about faith, though, I want you to understand. The faith we have in God and in His Word and what the Bible teaches is not blind faith. What do I mean by blind faith? That means I just believe it without... There's nothing that even backs it up. Best example of that would be Mormonism. You know, there's millions of Mormons in the United States, millions of Mormons all over the world. You drive down um, Doug Gap Road, and when it turns over into Shugart, you go a little bit further, and you'll find a Mormon house of their version of worship. They believe that the, um, the Jews, many of them, sailed across the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, over 2,000 years ago, and came to America, and they built great cities in America, and had great wars where millions and millions of people died. However, there's no evidence of these great cities that were built out of stone. There's no ruins of them anywhere. There were battles where millions of people died, and they wore armored metal armor, and metal shields, yet no one's been able to find any battlefields where millions of people died. That's a blind faith. However, what we believe is backed up by evidence. Jesus did not want you to have that kind of blind faith. We see it in the Scriptures. Look at this. In John 20, 27, Jesus has risen from the dead. And we know the story of old Thomas, how um, he had some doubt as to whether Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And because of his doubts, Jesus said this to him. Then saith Jesus to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. Notice the next words. And be not faithless, but believing. What did he say to Thomas? I want you to have faith, and in order for you to believe that I rose again, if you have to take your hand and stick it into the wound in my side, go ahead, because I don't want you to be faithless." Jesus wants us to have faith. Not a blind faith, a faith that is backed up by reason and evidence. Notice this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We see in verse number 3, Paul said, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. Notice Jesus said to Thomas, who saw the resurrected Lord, if you need to, stick your hand in my side in order to believe. Now that would have been an amazing event to be there like Thomas on that day to see Jesus risen. That was 2,000 years ago. Nobody living today was alive back then to see Jesus raised from the dead. In Paul's day, he's writing to a Corinthian church whom the congregation weren't there to see Jesus risen from the dead. Paul here is not saying, don't take my word for it. Here's the evidence. Here is eyewitness after eyewitness of people who saw the resurrected Lord. And Paul names over 500 people who would testify to seeing Jesus walking around after He had died on the cross. Our faith is not blind faith. One more thing, 2 Peter 1.16. Listen to what Peter says concerning the gospel. He said, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, in other words, fairy tales, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. No, we don't follow fairy tales. We don't have blind faith. Sometimes the evolutionists will say, those people who hold to creation, these are the types of people who believe um, just in the flat earth. You know, these people reject science because science doesn't back up the Bible. But that's not true. We see that archaeology and science supports the Bible. Let me give you a testimony of a man by the name of Dr. Clifford Wilson. He's the former director of the Australian Institute of Archaeology. Now, the Australian Institute of Archaeology is not a Christian organization. But listen to what he says concerning the Bible. Dr. Wilson says, I know of no finding in archaeology that's properly confirmed, which is in opposition to the scriptures. The Bible is the most accurate history textbook the world has ever seen. You know, 150 years ago, people used to make fun of the Bible because the Bible talked about a group of people called the Hittites. And the archaeologists 150 years ago used to laugh at the Bible and say, That's ridiculous. There's no such people called the Hittites. They made those people up. And then about the turn of the 20th century, somebody in the area that we know of today as Turkey, digging around and discovered a city. And in that city they found tablets and writings of a group of people, records of a kingdom, better yet, let me say an empire the world had not known of. And the people were called the Hittites. Backing up to what the Bible says. For those people who say, we don't hold to science. We don't hold to history. We're like a group of people that hold to ideas like the flat earth. Like some people hold today. Let me just say about that. The president of the flat earth society in America believes in evolution. The guy that holds to it. Let me tell you the thing. Here it is woman who was um, writing an article in Life Science on the Flat Earth Theory, said this, The Flat Earth Society is an active organization currently led by a Virginian man named Daniel Shenton. Though Shenton believes in evolution and global warming, he and his hundreds if not thousands of followers worldwide also believe that the earth is a disk that you can fall off of. For those people who say Christianity is a group of people that believe in things like the flat earth. Isn't it kind of funny that the guy who runs the flat earth society doesn't believe the Bible? He's an atheist. He believes in evolution, and he believes in a flat earth. Found that funny. Um, the, I find it funny because we see in 1 Peter chapter number 3 a prophecy made about our day. Notice what it says here. Peter writing 2,000 years ago, writing about the day that we live in, he said this, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day's scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Now notice what he says. In the last days there would come scoffers who would question the coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Do we have people like that today? Yeah. Jesus went up into heaven 2,000 years ago. You have been Christians have been talking for 2,000 years about Him coming back. So guys, where's the big comeback? They mock it. But not only that, notice what they also say. They say, This they are willingly, willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. The first thing they would deny is this, that this world and the heavens and the heavens that we see, by the way, the heavens that we see are this. The first heaven is the sky. You look up and you see a blue sky with clouds and birds flying around in it. That's the first heaven. The Bible speaks of a second heaven. The second heaven is where we see the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets. We would call that outer space. And the third heaven is the place where God abides. That's the third heaven. Notice it says, by the word of God, the heavens were bold, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. What is that referring to? Creation. They would deny that God created the world. And second, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. What's the second thing they would deny? The flood. They would deny creation, and they would deny the flood. I want you to pay attention to another thing. It says this, For this they willingly are ignorant of. Now what does that mean? It means this. Willingly or ignorant simply means dumb on purpose. That's what it means. What they believe makes no sense. But they're going to deny the truth of God's Word. (coughs) That means dumb on purpose. Let me give you an example of that. A man by the name of Dr. Scott Todd, he's from Kansas State University. Some of y'all know Kansas State University. They had a pretty good football team, at least the first half of the year this year in college football. Kansas State University, Dr. Todd made this statement. Even if all the data points to an intelligent designer, such an hypothesis is excluded from science because it is not naturalistic. Now listen to what he said. Even if all the evidence pointed, now when it says intelligent designer, that means God, points to an intelligent designer. In other words, what we see is evidence that there was a a being, an intelligent designer, what we would call and we believe to be God Himself, who created everything. If all the evidence pointed to that, if all the data we find shows that, we still would exclude that kind of hypothesis because it's not naturalistic. What does that mean? Dumb on purpose. Even if they see the evidence, are they going to believe it? No. That is willingly ignorant of the truth. So let's get into this. Is evolution a fact or a theory? Now, I don't think it's really a good one of either. It's definitely not a fact, even though I've heard people scientists, say that evolution is a fact. They say you may not like the fact that man came from monkeys, but it's a fact. You're going to have to deal with it. Evolution is not a fact. Not a fact. Not even a good theory. When we were in school, they would teach us the scientific theory. Maybe some of y'all remember being taught the scientific theory in school. Here's what the scientific theory is. It's a careful attempt to explain certain observable facts of nature by means of experiments. In order for it to be a scientific theory, number one, it must be observable. You have to see it taking place. By the way, has anyone ever seen one kind of animal turn into another kind of animal? No, it's not observable. It must be repeatable. If you did see it, Could you set up a situation where it would happen again? No. Next, is it testable? Do we have to take your word for it? Can you set it up in in a place where you have more witnesses to be able to see it? Can you see it and then somebody in another part of the world do the exact same thing you did in the exact same situation and get the exact same conclusion? No. So let me just say, I don't think evolution... Definitely is not a fact, and as far as theories go, it's not even a good theory. Hey, it's not just me saying that. Listen to this man, James Gunn of Princeton University. He's the co-founder of the Sloan Survey. That was an important survey of outer space to give us a good, comprehensive map of where all the stars and galaxies and so on are. James Gunn said this about cosmology. In other words, the um, science of the cosmos. Outer space. Cosmology may look like a science, but it isn't a science. A basic tenet of science is that you can do repeatable experiments, and you can't do that in cosmology. So even one of the experts in it admits this is not science that we're talking about. Another man you may have heard of, just to show you the foolishness of it, How many of y'all have heard of this man, Neil deGrasse Tyson? Anybody ever heard of him? He did a series, I think a few years ago, called um, Cosmos, talking about the origin of the universe. He redid old Carl Sagan. Some of y'all may have heard of Carl Sagan's uh, series on the origins of the world. Maybe you don't know this. As nice as he looks, he is a very, very um, fervent atheist. He does not believe in God. And he does not support anything that would say there is a God. Talking about the beginning of the universe, Neil deGrasse Tyson said this, In the beginning, nearly 14 billion years ago, all the space and all the matter and the energy of the known universe was contained in the volume less than one trillionth of the size of a period that ends this sentence. Now listen to what he said. He said, 14 billion years ago, everything in the universe fit into the space that was the size of one trillionth of the period at the end of that sentence. Hey, I'll, I'll give you a trillion times bigger than that, Neil. Let's look at this. The entire universe, one little dot. Now, you listen to it and you say, well, this guy's pretty smart. That makes sense, Right? No, let's start off small and see if it makes sense. Do you know what that place is? I hope you do, you're sitting in it. Whitfield Baptist Church. Look at this auditorium. Could you possibly crush this entire auditorium and make it fit into the space of a period? I mean, it's common sense. Can you do that? No? Let's go a little bigger. Do you know what that is? That's an aerial view of the city of Dalton. Beautiful city to live in, right? Can we take every house, every tree, every car, every person in the city of Dalton, all the asphalt that they paved the roads with, and crunch it into the size of a period? No. State of Georgia. Can you take from Ringgold, Georgia, all the way down to the Florida-Georgia line? Crush every river? Crush Stone Mountain and every high-rise building in Atlanta. Crush the railroads that run through Macon, Georgia, and all the interstates that run east and west and north and south. Every person, every car, every house. And crush it into the size of a period at the end of that sentence. I know this is going to get redundant. I just want you to think it out. Next, the United States of America. Can we crush everything in the United States of America into a period? No. You see how ridiculous this is getting? Can you do it with the earth? No. Can you do it with the solar system and all our planets? And I hold a nine planets, by the way. I still think Pluto's a planet. (laughs) You don't have to amen that. That's not in the Bible. (laughs) I still think Pluto's a planet, but can you take all the objects in in our solar system and do it? No. What about the Milky Way galaxy? You know, our solar system revolves around the sun. The sun's a star. And it's one of 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Could you take the Milky Way galaxy and crush it into a period? And then do you realize if there's 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, do you realize there's at least that many galaxies outside the Milky Way galaxy? You see, this is actually a picture. You can see all different kinds of galaxies in there. This picture was taken with the Hubble Space Telescope. There was a certain place in the night sky, they said, was just completely black. They said it's a, there's nothing there. And they said, why don't we take the Hubble Telescope and focus on that one place where we can't see anything? And when they did, you know what they saw? All that. In that one place where they said there was nothing. Galaxy after galaxy after galaxy. You mean to tell me that you can take the entire universe and crush it into the space, according to Neil deGrasse Tyson, that would be one trillion the size of a period. Now, some of them don't even say that anymore. They used to call that little space the cosmic egg. And many scientists now are going away from that because the creationists would always just go up to them and just say, okay, where did the egg come from? And they didn't have an answer for it, and they didn't like to be asked that question. So do you know, many scientists even say today, it wasn't even a a trillionth the size of the period. It was just nothing. And one day, boom! Nothing blew up and formed the universe. Now, you hear that coming from me, a redneck from Georgia, and that sounds stupid, wouldn't you agree? Why is it that because somebody has a bunch of um, degrees from some university... When they say it, people start to believe it. It's ridiculous. It doesn't even make sense scientifically. Even if you could take the entire universe and compress it into that kind of space, there's a law that goes against it. It's called the law of the conservation of energy. By the way, notice I said the word law. I didn't say theory. I said law. Law is something that has been tested that has been observed and has been proved. It's Irrefutable, it's a law of science. What does this law say? This law states that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. All the energy in the universe is the same amount of energy that we had at the beginning of the universe. And when the universe comes to an end one day, if it ever did, what it ends with is the same amount of energy as it had at the very beginning. Energy cannot be created or destroyed. If that's the case then, how did the dot in the Big Bang get the energy to explode? Energy can't be created or destroyed. So how did it have the energy to blow up? Doesn't make any sense. Yet this is what people are taught over and over again. Evolution is ridiculous. Dumb on purpose. Another idea is this, cosmology. The popular idea of star formation is this, that stars form from vast clouds of gas and dust through gravitational contraction. In other words, you have a large cloud out in space of hydrogen and helium. And all of a sudden, in a vacuum, all that gas, helium and hydrogen gas, just contracts and contracts and contracts. And finally, it gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and a star ignites. From that gassy cloud, we get a star. There's a problem with that. Something you've noticed in life. When you have gas exposed into a vacuum, does it contract or does it expand? It doesn't fall back on itself. What does it do? It tries to fill a vacuum. Not try to take up a certain space in the vacuum. It tries to fill it. That's what's provable. That's what the evidence is. Gas and dust clouds will not exp- will expand, they will not contract. This is what's taught. This is what they say formed our universe. They said four billion years ago, our, our solar system was a big old cloud, spinning faster and faster and faster. and in the center had a lot of gas and that formed the Sun. A little bit further out, that spinning ball of gas formed the Earth and Jupiter and Saturn and all of them including Pluto formed them like that. Yet every test you can do in science shows the exact opposite of what they say happens. Evolution is not a fact. Evolution is not even a good theory. Evolution is ridiculous. Let's talk about the origin of life. Donald Johnson, PhD in chemistry, PhD in computer and information science said this, As far as science knows, the law of biogenesis, Now, that's a very important law. I was taught that when I was a little kid. Fourth grade, they taught me about the law of biogenesis. Do y'all remember learning about that in school? Some of y'all may remember that. Remember the guy had the experiment? He had a a piece of rotting meat. He put it in a container and put cheesecloth over it. Another, he had a piece of rotting meat and he left the cheesecloth off. Lo and behold, what happened? The one that was uncovered all of a sudden had maggots growing in it a few days later because the flies laid eggs on it. The one with the cheesecloth did not. And you know what they proved? They proved this, that something that is dead cannot bring forth life. Biogenesis simply means this, that life originates with life. Life arises from life. It's still valid. It's never been um, unproven. They have never taken something that's dead... And created life from it. It's never been done. That's what they teach with evolution. They teach this, origins of life. There is no observable evidence. They talk about amino acids. You know that the things that make up our muscles are called proteins that scientists with all their skill are still unable to create one protein molecule. The same thing that makes up our muscles. They talk about, well, it don't take much to make a cell. A cell is very simple. Then they actually took out better microscopes than they had 100 years ago and figured something out. Cells are not that simple. They're very complex. Did you know that an animal cell like this, which is in your skin and in your muscle, is more complex than the space shuttle they sent up into outer space? More complex than that. And that's just one tiny part. Of your entire body. They said that just arose by chance. Ridiculous. Hey, here's another problem. Did you know this? When they try to start life, life can't start in an oxygen atmosphere. Oxygen's corrosive. How many of y'all knew that? Oxygen's corrosive. Do you know that when you're, if you have a pocket knife, if your knife starts to rust, it ain't because of the water, even though it gets wet and it rusts, it's actually because of oxygen that causes your knife to rust. It's corrosive. And any kind of life, if you tried to form it, couldn't form because the oxygen would burn it up. But here's another problem. Life can't start if there's no oxygen in the atmosphere. It can't start with it. You can't start it without it. They can't do it. And by the way, another thing. you remember when you were studying evolution when you were in public school? Some of you who went to public school, they said that it started in an organic sea. Life started in the sea. There's another problem with that. Did you realize that life can't start in water? Water will suck out all the important uh, nutrients and all the important molecules that that are needed to form life. It will just suck it away through hydrolysis. So you can't form life with oxygen. You can't form life without oxygen. And you can't form life in water. Scientists don't know what to do. So one of the most famous atheists and proponents of evolution, maybe you've heard of him, a guy by the name of Bill Nye, the science guy. By the way, he doesn't have a doctorate's degree. doesn't have a degree in anything of science. He has an engineering degree. Bill Nye, the science guy, he believes that life came from Mars on a meteorite, came to this earth, and formed life on this earth. It evolved on this earth. Why? Because they can't figure out a way that life could have ever started on the planet Earth. It had to come somewhere else. But the problem with that is, how did life start on Mars? You can't get away from the problem. Dumb on purpose. Before we close, can evolution and Christianity coexist? You know, many times they try to do this. Christians try to make Christianity fit into it. And we have many different theories. You have... Theistic evolution. God created the world, created simple animals, and those simple animals evolved into us later on. Then you have the day-age theory. Some of you all have heard of that, that each day of creation was a period of time whether thousands or millions of years. Another popular one, and some of you all have it in your Bible. You've carried to church today. The gap theory, which is held to in the Schofield Bible. Notice what the Schofield Bible says. Genesis 1.1. Notice the title above it. It says, the original creation. If you have a Schofield Bible, you can look at that. The original creation. Then it says in verse 2, earth made waste and empty by judgment. And then verse 3, another title. The new beginning. You know what that's called? It's called the gap theory. They said that God created the world with a different kind of race of creature on it. That creature sinned and rebelled against God. God destroyed the world everything on it and then started creation all over again and the Schofield Bible I have them at home I like to use it holds to that theory I knew many good preachers I won't give you their names because I know they disagree now because they're in heaven that held to the gap theory but it just doesn't work and I'll show you why can evolution and Christianity coexist the answer is no they cannot let me show you why number one Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. The Bible says, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, notice what it said, it was what? Very good. Now, understand this. If evolution's true, then God's very good includes death and decay. God created the world with death, with cancer, with disease, with animals killing one another, with violence. Is any of that good? Hey, how many of y'all enjoy disease? Consider disease a good thing. Hey, anybody think cancer's a good thing? Anybody think death is a good thing? No, of course not. However, what the Bible teaches is when God created the world, there was no disease. There was no death. Everything was good. If evolution's true, then God's very good is not too good. Next. These two verses are not true. Romans 5.12, the Bible says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and notice what the next thing says, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Why did death come into the world? Three-letter word. What is the reason for it? Sin. Well, if evolution's true, let me give you the next one. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection from the dead. Well, if evolution's true, then you had millions of years of animals killing each other. Dinosaurs, you know, you've seen those old cartoons. Dinosaurs killing each other and violence and death. The world was full of death before Adam and Eve ever showed up. Makes the Bible a lie. Death did not come by sin. Death was already here when man showed up, according to evolution. Next. If the gospel, if sin was not the cause of death, then let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Jesus died for our sin, correct? He died so we could have life. If sin is not the cause of death, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Genesis is the foundation of the gospel. If Genesis is not true, why do we hold that the gospel's true? Hey, let me give you the words of not me, but maybe an atheist, Richard Dawkins. The most famous atheist today. He's a professor at Oxford University in England. This is what he said about it. I'd almost say amen to it. He said this, oh, but of course, the story of Adam and Eve was only ever symbolic. There was a bishop from England that was arguing that the story of Adam and Eve was fake. Just symbolic. It was They weren't real people. Richard Dawkins heard it. He doesn't believe in Adam and Eve. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe the Bible. But when he heard that, coming from a Christian, he took exception to it. He said, oh, but of course the story of Adam and Eve was only ever symbolic, wasn't it? Symbolic? So Jesus had himself tortured and executed for a symbolic sin by a non-existent individual. Nobody not brought up in the faith could reach any verdict Other than barking mad, if that's the case. Understand this either Genesis is true or the Bible isn't. Everything that we stand up for as Christians today is actually finds its foundation in the book of Genesis. Whether it be when we talk about gay marriage, why do we believe that men and men can't marry and women and women shouldn't marry? Not because we don't like homosexuals. I will say this right now. I am an independent, fundamental Baptist. And I love homosexuals. I love them. You want to know why I love them? Jesus loves them. Hey, I want them to be saved. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for them. I love homosexuals. However, the reason why I don't support gay marriage is not because I don't like homosexuals. It's because of this. The Bible, in the book of Genesis, told us what is marriage. It's between a man and a woman. That's where we get our foundation. You take Genesis away, what's the argument anymore for that? God set up marriage. Hey, government is set up in the book of Genesis. Hey, the gospel is set up in the book of Genesis. You undermine the story of creation and everything else in the Bible falls with it. Now I started this tonight by showing you that evolution is ridiculous. These aren't going to be the only things I show you to show you how ridiculous evolution is because they are dumb on purpose. I'm going to show you more in the next couple of weeks. The next two weeks I'm now going to show you the reason why you should have confidence in believing what the Bible says is true. After all, we do not have a blind faith. If God created the world in six days, and then roughly 1,600 years after the creation, God destroyed the world that then was with a flood, covered the entire ocean, world in ocean, shouldn't there be some evidence of it? Well, there is. We're going to discuss that over the next couple of weeks. And I hope it will be a blessing to you and a help to your faith. Why is this important? Very simply put, evolution today is destroying our kids. They don't believe that what the Bible says is true. And let me put it to you this way. If Genesis 1.1, we start dismissing that and saying, well, you don't have to believe that. Well, then why should you believe in John 3.16? Kids, teenagers are going to colleges. They're listening to public high school science teachers and they're being deceived concerning evolution, and they begin to doubt God's Word, and they find going to church, living for Jesus, may be a good thing, but since it isn't true, you can take it or leave it. And they're falling out because of it. We need to take a stand on the truth of God's Word. Understand, we do not have a blind faith in creation. It's a reasoned faith. There is evidence for what we believe. And we're going to be blessed by learning what that is over the next couple of weeks. God bless each and every one of you. Brother Randy, I'll let you close.